All right, continuing our listener's commentary through Romans chapter 3, Paul is building his case against mankind that he began in 118, showing how all men are justifiably guilty before God. He began his case with the immoral pagan in 118 through 32. Then he shifted in chapter 2 to probably primarily Jews, but also did it in such a way that even decent, good moral pagans could feel the weight of his words and be justifiably held accountable for their misdeeds as well. And then beginning partway through chapter 2, he really targeted Jews in particular. And here at the beginning of chapter 3 that we looked at in our last session then, Paul raised the question or really dealt with a question that he knows an imaginary Jewish objector is likely to ask because of his many times preaching the gospel to the Jews. And so he raised that question and then responded to that objection. Here in this session, we're going to be looking at chapter 3, verses 9 through 20. And in this section, Paul then wraps up his case against mankind, making the point that all mankind is under the authority of sin, is guilty before God, and is liable to punishment. Whatever punishment God meets out is just and right and well-deserved. And so he says here in chapter 3, verse 9, What then? Are we better than they? And this really is the same sort of question, same sort of topic that uh, is being dealt with in chapter 3, verse 1, but looked at from a different perspective because there's a really, really important distinction. So in chapter 3, verse 1, the question was, well, what advantage has the Jew? What benefit is circumcision? And Paul's answer is, great in every respect. Here in verse 9, what then? Are we better than they? And Paul's answer is, not at all. So what's the distinction between the two questions? Well, in 3.1, the question is, what's the advantage of being raised with the Torah and with circumcision, with the knowledge of God? And Paul says, great in every way. There's a massive advantage to being born a Jew, to growing up with a knowledge of God's will and a knowledge of God himself through the scriptures. There's a massive advantage to that. But... The question in verse 9 isn't what advantage has the Jew, it's are we superior? Are we better than Gentiles? Are we better than those who grew up without the knowledge of God? And to that, Paul's answer is not at all. Not at all. Why not? Well, Paul gives the reason in the second half of verse 9. And that reason is, for we've all charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. And so there is no superiority. There is no like inherent superiority, right standing with God that simply comes from being a Jew. Jews, as Paul's already demonstrated, ha- have sinned themselves. They've broken the Torah. And so all are under sin. They're under the authority of sin. They're under the penalty of sin. They're under the power and the weight of sin. And thus, they all need rescued from sin. And remember, this case against mankind in the larger context of this first major section of Romans grew out of Paul's thesis statement in 1, 16 and 17 that the gospel is the power of God to salvation for all who believe, both Jews and Greeks. Well, now he's built this case against mankind, and so he's shown that, as he stated here, 
we've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. So all mankind is guilty before God, guilty as charged, and deserve the punishment. Notice also here in verse 9, the legal feel to the language, for we've already charged that both Jew and Greeks are under sin. This legal imagery has been sort of lying in the background throughout this whole section from 118 and following. Paul now is going to pick it up full force, and he's going to use really this kind of law court imagery from here to the end of the chapter. Then in verse 10, what Paul does is, well, at least beginning in verse 10, 10 through 18, Paul has just a string of Old Testament quotes from 10 through 18 that come from the the Jewish scriptures to make the point that all people, including the Jews, are guilty before God, all have done wrong. And so this is sort of like the grand finale, the flourish at the end of the argument, where he just quotes this string of Old Testament passages to really drive home the point that Jews, as well as Gentiles, are guilty as charged, are guilty before God. The first quote in verses 10 through 12 comes from Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3, and it reads like this, There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seek for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is no one who does good, not even one. One of the things to pay attention in that quote is the emphasis on none, 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 not even one, none, none, right? Like you hear that over and over again. It flows right out of what he said in verse 9 about all are under sin. We've charged that everybody is uh, a sinner. And so this is a great quote to just drive home that point. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good, not even one. And so it really drives home the point of the kind of universality of mankind's sin that they have done wrong. The next quote in the first half of verse 13 is from Psalm chapter 5, verse 9. It says, Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep on deceiving. And so now this points out a specific form of wrongdoing, lying and deception, that with their mouth they are liars, they're deceivers. And so he quotes Psalm 5.9 to make that point. In the second half of verse 13, he quotes Psalm 140 verse 3 that really echoes the same idea. The poison of asps is under their lips. And so the the same idea as the first half, that they speak with poison. Their words are toxic, damaging, harmful, and they wound. In, the, in verse 14, he goes on and quotes Psalm 10, verse 7, keeping this theme of really sinfulness of speech uh, going. He says in verse 14, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. And that's from Psalm 10, verse 7. And so there's cursing and bitterness in their in their mouth. There's wickedness. In verse 15 through 17, he quotes Isaiah 59, verses 7 and 8. And it says this, their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. And so they are quick to wound and to kill. They bring harm and destruction to people, and they don't 
bring shalom and harmony and peace to people. Notice how it ends. And the path of peace they have not known. The path of harmony, shalom, being a peacemaker who unites people and brings harmony in their families, harmony in their community, harmony in their relationships. They don't bring God's peace to the world, the peace that was shattered by mankind's sin. And then verse 18 is a quote from Psalm 36, 1. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Just this broad, general statement about mankind. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, one of the important things to note about this list of quotes is they all come from the Old Testament scriptures, right? Many of them, in fact, in their original context, are addressing either Jews as a group or a specific group of Jews or specific individual Jews. Some are talking about mankind in general. Some are talking about Gentiles, but many are speaking about Jews themselves. And that's terribly important because Paul's point is all people, Jews and Gentiles, are under sin. And thus, verse 19 drives home the point of this string of quotes. Look what Paul says in verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, Law here is used in a broad, general sense, not just for the Torah, Genesis through Deuteronomy, but for the Old Testament scriptures in total, because all these quotes come from the Psalms, except for one that comes from Isaiah. So the Old Testament scripture. So now we know that whatever the law, i.e. the Old Testament scripture says, it speaks to those who are under the law. Who's that? Jews and all who have converted to Judaism. And so whatever the law says, whatever the Old Testament scriptures say, they say it to those whose scriptures they are, who listen to those scriptures, who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable before God. Let's uh, explore that just a little bit. When he says, so that every mouth may be closed, the idea is they have nothing to say in their defense. The scriptures have spoken so clearly and so definitively that they have nothing to say in their own defense. What can you say? God has charged that all people are sinners. All people have done wrong. There's no fear of God before their eyes. There's no one who's legitimately righteous. Everyone is guilty, right? So every mouth may be closed, nothing to say in their defense, and all the world, the whole world, all the people in the world, Jews as well as Gentiles, all mankind may become, in this translation, accountable to God. That particular word for accountable is hupadikos in Greek, and Ben Witherington in his commentary on Romans points out that the normal meaning of the word in secular Greek is guilt or guilty, far more than just accountable or accountability. So the idea of the word really is guilty. In other words, that the whole world may be guilty before God. Um, in the sense of legal guilt, not feelings of guilt. Whether you feel guilt or not doesn't really matter if you are objectively guilty by the standard of God's righteous law. That's the point. That's the case Paul has been building, that the whole world stands before God guilty as charged. Now, in verse 20, then, he says, continuing the thought that he began, that the law really closes every mouth, makes them all guilty because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in God's sight. This is, this is a quote from Psalm 143, verse 2, that emphasizes this idea. No flesh, 
no person, no human being will be justified in God's sight. What does the word justified mean? It's going to be a very important word in our next section because Paul now is going to go to solution beginning in verse 21 and tell us how somebody does get justified. So what does it mean to be justified? Well, we'll explain it more in detail in the next session, but essentially what justified means is put into a right relationship with God, declared in the right. It also includes the idea of thus being a part of the people of God. Those that are justified are also part of God's covenant. They're in good standing with the covenant. They are right with God and in a right relationship with God. More details on that in the upcoming session. But here, know that, that no flesh is going to be put into a right relationship with God by virtue of the law, the Old Testament law. He says, because by the works of the law, meaning observing the Torah, keeping the old covenant, that didn't work. Didn't work for the Jews, not going to work for anyone else. In fact, the Jews suffered the curses of that covenant. They are still enduring the, the long-standing curse of exile under foreign domination. God's glory is not returned to his people, right? So they're still experiencing the ultimate and final curse of that covenant. And so the the works of the law, especially the observable kind of boundary marker works, Sabbath keeping, food laws, circumcision, those sorts of things, none of those are going to justify somebody in God's sight. Instead, what the law does, Paul says in the last bit of verse 20 is, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So rather than justifying people, what what the ultimately what the law ended up doing was naming sin as sin creating clear definitive boundary lines right and then what happened was people crossed those boundaries and gained deep knowledge of sin deep knowledge of their own sin deep knowledge of their wrongdoing here's what the law says and we didn't keep it Man, Paul is going to go into massive amounts of details on this later in Romans chapter 7. Uh, but that's really important, that what the law actually did was enunciated and named sin and brought a deeper, greater understanding of and experiential, experiential knowledge of sin itself. So rather than bringing justification, the law brought knowledge of sin. And with that, Paul concludes his case against mankind. They, there they stand before the just judge of the universe, God himself, and what can they say in their own defense? God's word is clear. Their experience is clear. They have all done wrong. Everybody is guilty to some degree or another. No one, therefore, is going to be justified by keeping the Torah, keeping the old covenant, God needed to bring in saving justice. He needed to bring in justification another way, which is the launching pad for this whole section, beginning in 118 through 320. And thus, God is going to bring the gospel in, which will display his righteousness, his saving justice to the whole world for all people, Jews and Gentiles. And so at this point, the, the case is closed. The case is settled. Mankind is guilty as charged before God. And as we wrap up this long section that began in chapter 1, let me just point out just maybe a little reflection here 
that in chapter one, God hands mankind over to their choices and says, you want evil? You like wickedness? Well, here you go. And he hands them over. Uh, in chapter two, Paul points out that God's an impartial judge. And thus, God's going to judge all people according to what they have done. He's going to hold all people accountable for what they legitimately have not done. Not just their heritage, not just their their religiosity, not just even their knowledge of his word. What have they really done? And the net effect of that is, well, all people are sinners. All people have done what's wrong. And thus, we really are responsible for our choices. We really are responsible for our character and our behavior. And we really all are therefore culpable. We, we stand before God culpable for our choices. And there is thus a reckoning for each person and each person's behavior. And we all stand before God without anything to say in our defense. We are guilty. Guilty as charged. What's the solution? Well, that's where Paul turns next.